Hi, this is Rabbi Dovi Ben Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham, located on East 9th between T and Avenue U. Thank you so much in advance for listening to the following shiur. We've just entered a very sensitive period in Klal Yisrael at this time of year. The days that are known as Ben HaMitzarim, the three weeks. And from this past Sunday, going straight out until Tisha B'Av. These 21 days are very powerful days. Matter of fact, the Maharsha, he, when describing these 21 days, he actually wants to compare it to the 21 day, days between Rosh Hashanah and Hoshana Rabbah. And that is unbelievable. I mean, those days between Rosh Hashanah and Rosh Hashanah Rabbah are what you would call the holiest days of the year. I mean, that's Rosh Hashanah, that's Yom Kippur, that's Sukkot. I mean, those are the literally biggest days of the year. But yet, the Maharsha wants to compare these 21 days to those 21 days. Now, it's not to come and say that we're really comparing apples to apples. Those days are the holiest days of the year. No one's going to deny that. But the way he's comparing it to these 21 days is that just like those 21 days, the opportunity of closeness to Hashem is so amazing. In these 21 days, there is also an opportunity for closeness to Hashem, which is amazing. It might be a little bit of a different path, in a different way, with a different feeling. But nonetheless, the opportunity for closeness is there. You know, over the years we begin to, I guess, grow up a little bit, and life moves on, and, you know, we leave... We leave high school, and then we go out to the world, and we get married, Baruch Hashem, and we start having families, and we start raising our own children. And as time goes on, the world doesn't get bigger, it really gets smaller in a certain way. And the people that we knew growing up, as time goes on, those people little by little start to get more and few and far beyond. And the truth of the matter is, is that over the years now, we begin to see people in different occasions. Some people that we haven't seen in years. Friends maybe that we grew up with that we haven't seen in years. And we get to see them by weddings. But we also sometimes get to see them when lo aleno, we should never know, when we have to pay visits of Avelut, of Shiva. And sometimes you bump into people on these occasions that you haven't seen in many years. But these are moments that we reflect back and we remember how we grew up and the people we grew up with. There's a little bit of a similar theme here when it comes to the 21 days of Rosh Hashanah, Toshana Rabbah, and the 21 days of now until Tisha B'Av. Where those days are like the days of a wedding. From Rosh Hashanah, Toshana Rabbah, those are very happy days. Those are the great weddings of Klal Yisrael, where we come together in happiness and smachot and hagim with Hashem. These 21 days, it's a little bit different. These are the days that Hashem is in mourning. But believe me when I tell you, you'll be surprised how in mourning sometimes we can come very close to people as well. And in mourning sometimes people come very close to Hashem as well. I know a lot of people that weren't so religious growing up you know when they found religion? When somebody in the family passed away. Where suddenly they had to start coming to shul every day. And they had to start, I mean, shalom, we should never know from this, of course. But this is 
the makeup of Avelut. Where they have to come now and say Kaddish. We have to come now and do what they need to do in order to respect the person that passed and in essence become so much closer to Hashem. I remember years ago. And this is a story that's very dear to me. I remember many years ago I was learning in Eretz Yisrael at that time and I was married, newly married. My wife and I, we got married in March. We got married the week after Purim. Which is amazing. You know how things go where I was born the week before Purim. I guess my Brit Milah was on Purim. <laughs> and I got married a week after Purim. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, wow, Borei Olam, I guess you gave us that month. You know, that, that was kind of our time in a certain way. The name is Ben Shushan for a reason. You know? Okay, anyways. Okay, fine. But anyways, the bottom, the bottom line. The bottom line. But this was a special time. This was, you know, for my family, for myself especially. This was like a special time of year. It was a special time of smachot. It was a time of happiness. It was a time where really, you know... Uh, so right after we got married, my wife and I, right after Purim, so Sherebrachot practically led almost up to the week of Erev Pesach. And then Erev Pesach, well, Pesach, we spent Pesach obviously with our families. And then right after Pesach was over, we were on a plane to Eretz Israel, And we went there to live. At that time, if I would have told my wife we're going for three years, I would not have a shot, not even, not even one percent. I mean, I'm talking about zero. But, you know, we had a deal together where we're going to try it out. And we tried it for six months. And believe me when I tell you, over that six-month period, there was quite a few times that I came back home from Kolel to Harnov to the apartment that we were living in. And I came home to a wife sitting in the hallway with suitcases packed. Yeah, well, something like that. It, it, it wasn't what it is today. In those years, many years ago, it's not like today. Today, the couples that end up going have it a lot easier. But in those years, to call America was about $2 a minute. So her phone calls was on a Khalil guy's budget, if you know what I mean. And when she called her mother, it was, I had this like, it killed me to do it, but we had this little hourglass where we had to know exactly, okay, we could afford a four-minute phone call this week, but it was for the sake of learning. And it was a sacrifice. And those years, my wife and I will agree a million times, we would never trade those years for nothing. Those were the best years, really. At that time, you know, it's funny. Guys talk about this a lot, and maybe women do as well. You can have two guys that are best friends growing up, and then they go out and marry completely different girls. And then, after marriage, the friendship is not as easy to maintain. Because... It takes two to tango, you know, you, you, if the wives don't get along, even if the friends are best friends, suddenly, or brothers, yes, sometimes, little by little that friendship starts to separate a little bit, you know, and I had that, I, I had, a, I had a, a guy that I grew up with in Yeshiva for almost five, six years in Israel, he's from Belgium, a very close, dear friend of mine, and his name was Yanki, and uh, we were very close. You see, we're in an Israeli yeshiva. And I was the only American in an Israeli yeshiva. And I, I'm embarrassed to say it, but because I grew up in the Ashkenaz yeshiva world, so I spoke Yiddish fluently. 
English well that you understand but my Hebrew was lousy I mean I didn't speak almost any Hebrew at all and I'm coming to an Israeli yeshiva as a Svaradi speaking Yiddish I mean you can imagine what the Israelis thought of the Americans okay it's for a different speech but the, the, the bottom line is I came there as a chutzni as one of the chutznikim one of the outsiders from Chutzlaaretz and this guy came from Belgium so automatically because I was a chutzni and he was as well automatically we became very close friends and we became really close over the years he got married first and I was very close with him and his wife but then I got married came back to Israel and our wives didn't hit it off let's just leave it at that they didn't get along not everybody gets along it's okay listen not that there was anything wrong with any height not that there was anything wrong with anybody but they just didn't get along so you have best friends with wives that don't really see eye to eye this hurt me a little bit and I know it hurt him a lot a lot but it is what it is this is my wife and my wife comes first and I if there was ever a message that I tried to give over to my guys upstairs and that is that the essence of Shalom Bayit is for your spouse to know that they and only they are your number one if a person knows that they come first in your life and friends don't come before them and the business doesn't come before them and no matter what they're into and no matter what passions that they have in life but their wife comes first that's a tremendous marriage and it goes both ways it goes both ways nonetheless I tried to practice that preach I tried and I wanted really for her to see that she came first so our friendship because of that went totally haywire and from best friends to almost hello goodbye this went on for about a year and a half almost two years and the second year I was in Kolil in Israel I got a devastating phone call a phone call that you know was so hard to deal with I grew up my mother's father of Shalom my grandfather he was like a second father to me and we were incredibly close this was the grandfather that shows up in school to pick up his kids and drive them back home you know those grandfathers you know the ones that are going to show up to the house because he's retired on a Sunday and just say okay I'm taking everybody for ice cream let's go the grandfather that taught me how to drive you know at 17 as a boy your world is a car there's nothing else that exists at 17 a boy but a car and everyone else is telling you no way and then suddenly this knight in shining armor shows up as a grandfather like no other grandfather could and he says not only am I going to allow you to drive I'm going to teach you how to drive and that was the one that took me you know to the back road and the parking lots and key food and we would go around in circles together that personality in your life is like a second father it's like your favorite person in the world growing up and that was my grandfather to me he was that favorite person in my life anytime I needed anything I mean it's funny I'm, I'm, I think I'm able to stand here in front of you today and speak because of him because when I was I don't know 8 years old he used to take me out to Brighton Beach, that's where he lived. And he would put me up in shul by Su'udat Shalishit, eight years old. And he would tell me, go ahead, give a Dvar Torah. And I would be shaking. I wouldn't even, and I had, I, had, I had these funny buck teeth growing up like Bugs Bunny. So when I got up and I used to be nervous, my teeth used to chatter like ta-ta-ta-ta-ta-ta. And, 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 and I didn't know what to do. 
And he was very smart. He used to walk up to me and whisper in my ear right before I began to speak. He says, Dovi, don't worry. They're all about 80 or 90 years old. They can't hear anything anyways. They all have hearing aids. So no matter what you say, it's not going to be a problem. They're going to love you regardless. And that, that really gave me a certain feeling of, oh, so what's there to be nervous about? And little by little, he even got me to be able to speak. This was my grandfather. And then that day came, years later, married, second year in Kolel in Eretz Israel. And that morning, it's you know one of those things you'll never forget. I'll never forget. My, my mother's a very strong woman. An incredibly strong woman. With a tremendous personality and character. She's like a, like a matriarch in a certain way before her years. And I remember the morning when I called. Actually, she called me. It was 5 o'clock in the morning in Israel. I don't know what time it was in America. And her voice cracked. And I never heard her voice crack like that. And she said to me, remember your grandfather for who he was to you. And I already understood what that just meant. I understood that he just passed away. I was, ladies, I was broken to pieces. It was a time of an avelut. I couldn't even go to the funeral. I was in Israel. I was, I, I was thinking, like, how if I get on a plane tonight? There was no way. It wasn't possible. The hour's difference. They were burying him that day, that morning, obviously, and there was no shot. But I was broken to pieces. It really broke me pieces and I just sat there in that apartment in Harnov I didn't move from the couch for like two days I was just broken and I'll never forget this there was a knock on the door and I answered the door and standing there was this guy this friend Yankee who I haven't spoken to in six months it was just a little hello goodbye and we were once best friends but now over the last year and a half Clum, nothing. We just totally, because, you know. And he's standing by the door, and I open the door, and he looks at me. And he says to me, I heard. And he walked up to me, and he gave me a hug. I'll never for the rest of my life forget that hug. That was a moment where when someone is grieving, and you're there for them, that's a moment of a connection that for the rest of your life, you'll never forget it. These are the days that Hashem is grieving. These are the days of the Avelut of Borei Olam. These are the days that He cries over all the treacheries of Galut and all the terrible, terrible massacres of a long list of history, of a broken history that we have as a people. And Hashem is literally, forgive me, but in a way, kiviachol of Avelut. And Borelam is crying in these 21 days. And he's saying, who's going to come in these days to be Menachem me? So even if all year we might be distant, and we might have lost our path with him, and we might have even fell out of touch with Borelam. But in these days, the people that come and say, Abba, I didn't forget you. I know that these are your days of Avelut. These are your days that you're remembering the Holocaust. Abba, you're remembering the Spanish Inquisition. Abba, you're remembering Tach Vitat. Abba, you're remembering all the treacheries of the Bayit Rishon, the Bayit Sheni, and what went on. Ladies, I, I, I don't want to talk about it now because as we get closer to the nine days, obviously those memories come back. But we know that we have a history 
that has so much grieving and so much treachery and tsar of what we went through in this Galut. And Hashem goes back over those years in these 21 days and He cries about it. And He wants to see who's going to come and be Menachem Him in Avelut. And this is an opportunity for a closeness of a bond. Something that Hashem says, I'll never forget that. As I'll never forget this guy who we totally lost touch but he showed up that day and he gave me a hug at a moment that I needed it and that was priceless to me anybody today that cries with Borei Olam in these 21 days Hashem says I'll never forget how close we became in these moments these days are told to us by the rabbis as days that we have to be very careful you know we don't do things that are dangerous these days that typically maybe we would do during the year you know over the years I went to sleepaway camps as a younger guy and I remember when it came to three weeks so up until that point we used to go motor boating and water skiing and all the great things that we used to do in camp came the three weeks stop danger you don't put yourself in harm's way in these days especially in the nine days and especially we don't take trips we don't get on flights we try to kind of just stick to that's the theme of these days but these days also needs a special shmirah for Klau Yisrael Rabbi Yudah writes in his works that the concept in these days of the 21 days of Ben Amitzarim and the Shmirah that he talks about he says people should take upon themselves to be Marbeh as much as they can in Tzedakah why Tzedakah? Tatsil Mimaveh I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the special aspect of Tzedakah in these 21 days and the great protection and the Shmirah that it does over the three weeks there was a great Rebbe by the name of the Karpichnitzer Rebbe he was an unbelievable Sadiq this is a very famous story, but I want to share it with you. The Kapishman Sarebi, not only was he known to be from the Gedolim of America, but his Hasidim in Barapak, they wouldn't step, they wouldn't do, they wouldn't think, they wouldn't jump without that. They were very close with their Rebbe. You can imagine how when the Kapishman Sarebi showed up on 47th Street in Manhattan, which he never went to Manhattan, one day he shows up at an office on 47th Street by one of the uh, diamond merchants, a very well-to-do man, one of his Hasidim. The Rebbe's standing by the door, and the, the secretary, I mean, she's blinking twice and three, that she can't believe the Kapishan Sarebi is here in Manhattan and 47th Street coming to an office. She quickly, she calls him to her boss, and she says, you're not going to believe this. But your Rebbe is here in our office in the waiting room waiting for you. The guy comes running out from the back room. I don't know if you've ever seen these offices but these diamond offices it's like Fort Knox. They have to buzz them through every door layer after layer after layer. It's like running through a maze of and they're going through a door after bulletproof door. He finally comes running into the outer room and he can't believe it. The Rebbe is sitting there. Bechvodo ubeatzmo. Kapishan Sarebi, he had such a glow on his face. He had, they said, like a face like a sun. 
He comes running into the room. He says, Rebbe, what in the world are you doing here? 47th Street, Manhattan, in my office? Rebbe, I just saw you this morning by tefillah. Anything you needed, you could have simply just asked me, I would have given it to you. Whatever you asked, I would have done. You know that. Why did you have to schlep all the way to New York City, to Manhattan? The Rebbe says, on the contrary. I'm coming here to ask help from you. If you were coming to ask help from me, yes, I understand. You'd walk up to me after shul in the morning. No, no, I'm coming to ask help from you. And etiquette, derech eretz. If I'm coming to ask help from you, at least I should have the courtesy to come out and pay you the respect. Come see you. Today, these these concepts are so... (laughs) But what's the funny time? People lived with these concepts of derech eretz. Respect for somebody in an amazing way. So the Rebbe says, I need your help. He says, Rebbe, whatever you ask, I will do. I mean, I don't care what it is. You came to me for help? I'm going to do whatever you ask. The Rebbe says, I'll tell you the truth. There is a man. He has a large family. He tried a few jobs. For some reason, it just didn't work out for him. He has children to marry off. He has a wife who is not well. And he has a child who is also sick. He has terrible, terrible, terrible agmat nefesh. You know, his bills and everything. He's, he's drowning. We have to help this guy. We have to help him. Rebbe, that's it? That's why you came here? Just to help? Rebbe, if that's the case, believe me. Here's the check. Any dollar amount you tell me to write, I'll write. The Rebbe says, no. That's up to you. That's your mitzvah. You need to decide how much of the heart and the love and the moment of caring you want to give to another Jew in the way of knowledge. That's up to you. I can't tell you how much. But I can tell you that this is something that's extremely important. He says, Rebbe, you got it. He writes out a big check. Big dollar. Then when it comes time, he turns to the Rebbe, tells him, okay, so um, who should I make it out to? The Rebbe says, make it out to your brother. The man's jaw dropped. He literally felt like he's going to faint. He was so embarrassed. The Rebbe had to come all the way to New York City to beg and plead. So he should make it out to his own brother who was suffering with a family, with children. He couldn't pay tuitions. A wife who was sick and kids who were not well. You see, but when it comes to Siddhartha, we're always looking on the outside. We're always looking far, far-fetched places. We're always looking for, you know, maybe that yeshiva that's going to make a dinner for us. Or maybe that place that's going to give us a big plaque. Or the place that's going to give me the big smile, or the kavod. Or I'm going to get my picture in the yated. Or something, something. Of... The greatest siddhaka starts at home. If you open up a Shulchan Aruch and you look to see how the Halacha delineates the importance, importance of the addresses of who you give Siddhaka to, the first and top on the list is Bene Mishpacha. Your, for everyone today, we all have family members who have difficulties. Everybody, no matter who they are. There's always someone, a family member, an extended family member, somebody close. They come first. They come first. 
They need it. They're too embarrassed to come to you and ask. They're too embarrassed. Believe me, I know this feeling. You have no idea. What the, and you should never know what the embarrassment is. That's why I, I, I thank the guys, you know, guys like Jack Straw and Leon Hamra, and these guys that go out for this shul and for all the programs and all the classes, and they try to raise the money so I don't have to. Because I'm not good at it. And they know that. I, I always used to tell them, I told them, Ben Shushans know how to raise people. We don't know how to raise money. That's the truth. It's terribly embarrassing to have to come and ask. Terribly embarrassing. And that's why the last people who are going to come and ask you for money is your family members. And the last people we even think to help is our family members. You know that? Because they're not really going to say thank you. (laughs) And if they do say thank you, it's going to be very like that. And then sometimes we might get comments like, oh, now all of a sudden you woke up? Where were you till now? Why haven't you been helping till now? What do you mean? I'm coming to help now. So, because of that, it becomes hard a little bit. The greatest tzedakah starts with family. Look and find that there are family members that need help. Reach out to them. And if you want to do it in a special way, do it the way we do it in family. We find ways that the person receiving never has a clue who's the one giving. We come up with great stories. <laughs> great stories. And I don't want to give detail because obviously this points back to my own family. But we had a family member that the wife needed a wig desperately. She hasn't bought a wig in 10 years. And she looked like she was walking around with a mop on her head. And it bothered her husband. But there was no way, no way for them to be able to afford it. Especially these days, the prices. There was no way. I once told somebody, just like cars, they should start leasing. (laughs) Okay, anyways. But the bottom line is, there was no way. There was just no way. We came up with a story, and everyone in the family tripped in and, and, and bought her so that for the holidays she could feel like a human being. And her husband, it'll mean the world. And neither of them knew. And we actually got them to believe that one of us was buying a Chinese auction. <laughs> we, we, we ended up putting in different names, just hair care from different, you know, uh, and we got them to believe that that wig was won by that Chinese auction. And it gave them a dignity that when they sat by the table that holiday with the rest of the family, they wouldn't feel, God forbid, that they're in the presence of people that gave. Rather, they were in the presence of people that were so happy for them that they were a winner great to feel like a winner and they had a mazal that they actually won something and like I actually even heard the wife turn to the husband and say I never won anything in my life maybe this is the turnaround and I'm looking at my brother yeah maybe 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 this is the turnaround maybe maybe now my mazal just took off that's the tzedakah in family tzedakah tatsil mimavet I want to tell you something if families would start doing tzedakah within each other that certain mother would go away. Sometimes is that that, 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 that that certain something in families that somehow because we're so close we're so makhtid on each other. And because of that generally fights break out first within families and the people who are closer to each other than the people who are further away from each other. Because we expect more from each other. And we're more makhtid and we're more sensitive with each other because we're so close 
Could you imagine bringing tzedakah into that circle of family? It'll take away that mavet. It'll take away those fights. It'll take away that pressure. It'll bring such a feeling. Mamash, this, this is a step in the three weeks. We talk about shalom in the three weeks. We talk about achdut in the three weeks. I want to talk to you about tzedakah in the three weeks. In the family. And yes, after that we can go out and give to... Don't get me wrong. We have to give to the yeshivot. We have to give to Torah. That's what's keeping us alive. But one step at a time. One step at a time. I once heard from a man in, in the city, he, a guy from this community, he told me a great, great line. He said to me, I run Sidaka like I run my business. But he meant it in a good way. I asked him, what do you mean by that? He says, you know what I mean by that? He says, if somebody would walk through that door right now and offer me to enter a business partnership, would I jump in with the guy? I don't know the guy from Adam. You want me to put money down on the table? You want me to invest with you? Who are you? What? Uh, it's funny how the rabbi's phone from all people goes off in the middle of the speech. That's pretty... Uh... He says, if I don't know who the guy is, I'm not going to put money down. And even if I do know who the guy is, I want to know what the investment is, where it is. Let me see it as a winner. Let me see it being real. He says, how come? When it comes to business, I need to know who the guy is. I need to know what he's doing. I need to have proof that his product is real. Suddenly, when it comes to Siddhartha, people walk into offices. <laughs> we have no clue who they are, where they're from. They look good. They speak good. And don't get me wrong, we have to give Siddhartha to everybody. Everybody. And every Jew is Cheskat Kashrut that we should give to every person that walks in. But this guy told me, he says, I want to know that when I give Siddhaka, I want to know where it's going to. I want to know if it's going to something real. I want to take a partner in the mitzvah that's going to be a real partner. I said, good, if that's the case, show up tonight to the night seder in the shul. And when you walk in and you see 80, 90 guys learning every single night, you'll see that this business of Torah is real. And he came in that night. And at the end of the night, he walked up to me and he handed me a thousand dollar check. He says, this is a business that's real. This is now my real tzedakah. This is what I want to be a part of. We give and give. We're the most giving community in the world. But it starts with family. It starts with the people we know who really need. The real people. It starts with the people that maybe we don't get the thank yous. And we don't get the clap plaque. We don't get the kavod. But this is the real tzedakah. That brings an incredible feeling into a home. There is one last point that I'd like to mention that I found over these last 30, over these last next 21 days. Some of you might not realize this, but this past July 4th was not just the birthday of the United States of America. I don't want to sound like the president, but this past July 4th was also the anniversary of something amazing that happened to Klal Yisrael in 1976 on July 4th. And it's the anniversary of that great miracle of the story of Antebi. I don't know if you remember. I'm sure everybody remembers Antebi. And, um, you know, whether you read the book or whether... I don't want to say you saw the movie, but whether you read the book or whatever it is, you understand that the detail of 
the miracles that took place was amazing. Do you know that the night right before the great rescue, the Mary Yeshiva in Jerusalem, it was packed with thousands of guys that all came together to say to Helim, whole Eretz Yisrael that night wasn't sleeping. Everybody was up saying to Helim that night. Everybody. And the great Rosh HaYeshiva in 1976, from Chaim Shmuel Levit, he comes walking in and he stops for a minute, he looks around the room, and he sees maybe seven, eight thousand guys Young, old, married, single, all standing with a Tehillim in hand, ready to start saying Tehillim for the hostages that were captured at that time. Now if you remember, Idi Amin, he was threatening that he's going to blow up the hostages, the planes, if Israel, the United States, doesn't come across with the demands of the terrorists. This was not a joke. In walks the great Rav Chaim Shmulevitz. And he looks around and he gets very emotional when he sees the crowd of how many showed up to say Tehillim. And he got very choked up. And he walked up to the front of the room and he stood in the front by the pulpit. And he didn't say a word and everyone was waiting for him to start. And he looks around the entire room and he tells everybody in that room one sentence that everyone there says they'll never forget for the rest of their lives. And this is what he said to them. I want you to pray tonight as if one of those hostages is your brother or your sister. If it was your brother or sister that was held hostage there at that time, oh wow, your tefillah would be totally, totally different, totally genuine and real and powerful. Said Rukhan Shmulevitz to the crowd, these are your brothers and sisters. Pray like that. And the tefillot that took place that night was amazing. These 21 days I found over the years myself, people who need prayers, these are great days to pray. Because when Hashem sees that one Jew is praying not for their own needs, but for the needs of somebody else, that's one of the greatest showings and acts of love to another Jew. I'm praying for you. I see what it means to people. I see when a guy... You, do you know that almost every single one of my guys upstairs, when their wives go into labor, on the way out of the house, they call me. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I wouldn't know what to do. But, but they call. They say, Rabbi, we're on our way to the hospital. Start praying. And I say, you got it. We have a pact. We, I drop everything. No matter what it is, we start praying. From beginning to end. To pray for somebody else is to show the person you love them. You care for them to the extent that you're really exerting heart and soul on their behalf. When someone tells you, if it's Haki Balash people, leave them. But I'm saying, if it's real people, and a real person tells you, I'm praying for you, don't let that go simple. That's a big gesture. That's a big declaration. I'm praying for you means I'm giving you heart and soul. In these 21 days, I found that when we pray for other people's needs, Shemayim accepts it. Just because these 21 days, the showing of Ahavat Hinam to another Jew is off the charts. Let's show that Ahavat Hinam. Let's pray for the people that need, especially those in the family. Let's give to the people that need, especially those who are in the family. Let's open our eyes to realize that these 21 days, like the Maharsha said, they're as close to closeness with Hashem as the 21 days from Rosh Hashanah to Tisha B'Av. 
How are you going to use the opportunity of these 21 days? Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. This is Rabbi Divi Ben Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham. Please tune in every week on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Have a great week. Shabbat Tov.